Simply Complex is brought to you by Studio 71 and the YouTube channel How to Make Everything. Whether it's overhead food pictures, planking, or that person who takes and posts way too many selfies, the way we take pictures today is pretty crazy. But are the effects happening not just in the sharing on social media, but in taking the pictures themselves? On today's episode, we talk about how Andy is trying to make the ultimate selfie by making a camera and film from scratch. We also talk to a sociologist and expert in photo psychology about what taking photos is doing to our brains. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. Hey, Andy. Hey, Taylor. How's it going? All right. I have a question for you. Yeah? Do you like having your picture taken? Not especially. Why is that? I don't know. If sometimes it feels intrusive to whatever is going on. Sometimes I just want to enjoy the moment. Yeah. So I take it then you don't take too many selfies? No. It, sometimes I force myself to and it kills me a little bit inside. So what do you think about being in pictures? Not like taking pictures or taking selfies, but like actually being in pictures. Do you mind that as much? Uh, I've learned to accept it. Um, I don't know. I've generally not really liked myself in most photos. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like it's hard to look good. It's kind of a talent you have to learn to like pose and look good. Like it's easy in front of a mirror, but for like a photo, like it's something you gotta learn. And I'm I'm still working on it. Yeah, I I don't like being in pictures, and so my trick is I always make a f- a weird face. <laughs> so I've noticed then, this. <laughs> yeah, so I always look stupid on purpose. Then I don't look stupid on accident. <laughs> so there's uh, my college graduation. There's I'm literally photobombing a bunch of pictures <laughs> just because whenever I saw a camera, I would look at it and make like this same funny face. Yeah, it was pretty great <laughs> so like going back to your, like facebook photos i'm just like what so you're learning to like being in pictures mm-hmm. but you're also learning how to make a camera and take your own selfie from scratch yes so tell me more about that process and like where are you at in the project the challenge is to make the ultimate selfie where i make the entire camera from scratch to take the photo of myself by myself on a photo paper that's you made also Yes. It was something I never thought would be possible to do from scratch until I was talking to author Lewis Dartnell, who uh, challenged me to do it and uh, told me, made it sound a lot more achievable. Try next, Andy. Your next challenge to level up on the series is maybe try to use your experience in making glass and optics and create a primitive camera from scratch and try to take a selfie in the most truest and fundamental sense you could ever make a selfie by by making a complete photograph from scratch. I'm uh, now working on actually doing it and it's still, I feel like my assumption was probably more accurate. It's, it's been pretty difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, so we did an episode first with just making a pinhole camera, which is super simple. What's a pinhole camera? Basically a box 
that has a pinhole in it. <laughs> Should have known. <laughs> so it works on the concept of the camera obscura, which a camera is based off of, which is uh, light is reflected upside down through the pinhole and it's then projected very dimly on the back wall. And uh, it's a natural phenomenon that's really interesting. It's like the concept behind how we see with our eyes and how a camera works. So we did kind of experiment with that first with Physics Girl and uh, did that in the back of a U-Haul truck. Once our eyes fully adjusted, we could see the projected image of the street on the back wall, but upside down. This is the best attitude ever. What if movies were like this? <laughs> like you had to get in a really, really dark room and then wait 20 minutes. That was really interesting. It's just kind of a weird phenomenon. I, when you understand the physics, it's not so weird. It makes sense, but it's still interesting to experience in real life. What's the physics behind it? I'll let Diana explain. Hey, I'm Diana from the YouTube channel Physics Girl. So the way the camera obscura works has to do with the tiny hole in the box or the U-Haul or whatever you're using. That little hole lets in light coming from specific directions rather than letting in light from all different directions. So that in the end, the light that makes it through the hole is ordered. It's actually let through such that it's in order. And the end result is you get whatever is outside the box projected onto the inside of the box, but it's upside down and horizontally flipped. That's super interesting. Then you did take your own selfie from scratch with a pinhole camera. Yeah, so I have done that. Well, basically, there's two parts of the camera. There's the camera obscura, which projects the image, and there's the light-sensitive compound that either captures it on film or a digital sensor, which captures it digitally. And that is going to be the last piece of my camera, and potentially the hardest, although the lens that I'm working on right now is has been such a pain that I hope the, I hope that's the most difficult part. <laughs> it's just been a pain overall. <laughs> yeah, and the, the picture turned out pretty good. Yeah, uh, my first pictures weren't the greatest. Um, There's some light leaks and stuff. Once I patched that up and took a few more, it actually looked really impressive, I thought. Old-timey in the, the lab. Yeah. The problem with the pinhole, though, is that it takes such a long exposure that I couldn't take a super great selfie. I was able to get some blurry ones that were halfway decent. <laughs> <laughs> so now that How to Make Everything has passed 1 million subscribers, mm -hmm. and you're trying to take your own picture of yourself... Yes. I have to ask, has anybody ever recognized you in public and wanted a picture? Yeah, it happens surprisingly often. It always catches me off guard. Only a few have actually asked for photos. Most of the time, they're just like, are you that one guy who does the one thing? It's like one guy is like, oh, you're, you, make, you make food and stuff on the, on the, on the internet. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I do. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, but it's always fun to meet them. It always catches me off guard. And uh, now whenever I go somewhere, I always feel a little uncomfortable if somebody starts looking at me. <laughs> they <laughs> like, know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> they know all your secrets. Yeah. They never tag me. They never tag you. I want to see how it turns out, and they, they, never, they never tag me. <laughs> Next time you see Andy in public, take a picture and tag HTM everything. That It would make all his wildest dreams come true. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so when you do take pictures with people, do you also feel like it's taking a little bit of your soul I don't know about my soul, but I feel like it takes a little bit of my privacy. There's there's something nice about being in public and like none of these people know who I am and I I could say something stupid and then it doesn't matter because they know who I am. And I'm losing that. Because now there's like a that guy in the corner. He keeps looking at me. He might know who I am. If I say something stupid, other people who know me might find out now. Why I asked those very pointed questions. You're making a camera, and when cameras were first introduced, there 
was some ideas that they would steal part of the human soul. Uh, yeah, there's some interesting mythology behind uh, people's images and the camera and how that steals your soul. Let's dig into it. Do a little research about it. With the many things I've attempted to make from scratch myself, I'm continuously amazed at how such complex processes were discovered and perfected to produce the many items we use. But perhaps of all the items I've made so far, the camera I'm working on that allows you to capture an image in time is definitely one of the most amazing discoveries to try and recreate. This technology seems almost magical, and I cannot imagine what it was like when it was first discovered and unveiled. As with many new technologies, people are often initially skeptical, if not scared. This ended up evolving into the fear that taking a photo will steal a part of your soul in some cultures when first exposed to the camera. Now, just wrapping up the next piece of my camera, the lens, I'm curious about where this fear comes from. So I want to take a deeper look at some of the potential foundations of the myth. As a camera and photography spread around the world, the story of people being afraid of the camera, stealing a piece of their soul, were being made many places around the world. And as with most myth, it's hard to know how many of these accounts are even accurate or not. Such beliefs like this were supposedly reported initially with the Native Americans, Australian Aborigines, the various African tribes, and even in Japan when it was first introduced. The likely origin of such myth likely comes from the connection of one's visible image to their soul. Today, we are so overwhelmed with images of ourselves everywhere, but before photography, being able to see yourself usually was limited to just a mirror. And the mirror has many superstitions and beliefs attached to it across many cultures. Greeks, Romans, and Egyptians had the belief that a mirror contains a soul, and breaking it causes damage to the soul. The Mayans considered mirrors portals to the other world and allows ancestors and gods to pass through. Jewish culture requires that after the death of a loved one, while the family sits shiva, all the mirrors in the home where the body lies must be covered, so that the soul will not travel into and become trapped in one. Similar superstitions relating to causing harm to someone through the replication of their image can be found in other practices like burning effigies, puppets, and voodoo dolls. Imagining the initial exposure to the technology of photography that allows your image to not only be shown like a mirror, but also frozen in time onto a piece of paper could almost understandably tap into these underlying myths and fears of your image being attached to your soul, and can explain where this concept might have come from. But now, 203 years after its first invention, has the camera had any impact on our soul, or at least the soul of our culture? And we'll be back right after this. When we came up with the idea for this episode of cameras stealing our souls, my mind immediately went to our modern culture's seemingly obsessive need today to document everything we do. It wasn't that long ago that the selfie generation was a term used to describe millennials only, and taking photos of your food was primarily the domain of food bloggers and otherwise generally frowned upon. But today, it seems like the phenomenon is growing, not shrinking, to the point that social norms are becoming more tolerant of photo taking anywhere and by anyone, at any time. As people young and old become more invested in documenting and sharing their lives with their online communities, are we at risk of missing out on actually living the moment we're trying to capture with that perfect selfie? I came across a really interesting video produced by Wired Magazine, which touches on this very subject. It looked at the way that selfies can distort our self-perception, how selfie taking can affect our mood, and how the mere act of taking a photo can either enhance 
or detract from the experience. To learn more, I got in touch with one of the experts featured in the video, Alex Barish. Hi, I'm Alex Barish, and I'm a professor at NYU Stern School of Business in the marketing department. Got my PhD at the Wharton School of Business in Philadelphia, and I have a background in psychology. So while I'm in a marketing department, I'm trained as a psychologist, and so I study social aspects of consumption, basically. How much of your of your focus right now is on our use of personal cameras and selfies? Yeah, so I have two big areas of research. They both are related and sometimes end up overlapping, but I, I sort of define my two main areas of work in terms of experiences, consumer experiences, how, so how does technology shape those experiences in terms of our enjoyment, in terms of our memories? And the other side of my research is looking at pro-social behavior. So I also study what motivates people to do good deeds, how do we judge or view pro-social actors, and sometimes these things can overlap. Um, I think about it more broadly as being about sharing. So sometimes we're sharing our experiences both in the moment with other people or after the fact, and sometimes we share our resources with other people as we do when we sort of do good deeds or cooperate with others. So very much thinking about social aspects of our daily lives a lot. That's really interesting. It is kind of interesting that we have this kind of the, the sharing economy, but that mm -hmm. there's also a self-interested nature to that, which probably lends itself to right. being kind of like, what is the intention behind uh, a person's desire to share? Yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting to think about um, what I think about is the self-focus versus other-focus trade-off. And many of the these behaviors, while they are sort of other-focused in a way of wanting to connect with others or share your experiences with others, they also still oftentimes link back to self-focused motivations, whether that's self-presentational goals or impression management, whether that's you know bragging and wanting to to show other people how great your life is. Those can be simultaneously other-focused um, while also being self-focused. Another side of that equation, though, is a little bit more, more positive. Something that we oftentimes see as, as being very selfish can also be altruistic in some ways. So we can want to share about our experiences because we want others to know about things or we want to be helpful. And so I, I study a little bit about word of mouth. And so I can really isolate these self-focused and other-focused reasons. And there's a mixture of sort of uh, selfishness and, and more altruistic motives in, in both of those. So obviously there's a fine line between the self and the sharing. Is there a line or how do you uh, distinguish when something is crossing over from a need to share to being self-absorbed? point you're making is, is quite nuanced because it's about the motivations and it's specifically thinking about the, it's something that I'm actually looking at in, in current work. So hopefully I'll be able to answer this in the future even better, but uh, we're, we're really thinking about how a sharing motive can go from wanting to connect. It can be about affiliation. It can be about motives to, to bond with other people. Um, but kind of turn back into something that's a little bit more 
impression management focused, something that, that actually involves like changing the nature of your experiences in order to capture something perfectly. Um, and so these types of things then subsequently affect other people, sometimes in positive and sometimes in negative ways. So the sharing motive can um, in turn affect the person that you want to share with even before before you do the sharing part of the process. And so it's not uh, fully investigated yet, but it's it's something we're thinking about a lot. Using the example that I gave you where you have two people like out experiencing yeah. something, uh, one person wants to document it and the other person wants to just experience it. Um, do you see yeah. that a lot? And, and what is what's going on there? I do see that a lot. And I say it's the source of so many, you know, memes and jokes with couples and complaints with couples having to navigate this dynamic where oftentimes one person wants to capture uh, an experience and another person wants to just experience it. Um, Both people can be right in the sense that when people capture an experience for themselves, when they're taking photos, for example, for their own personal memories, this can actually be very rewarding. So contrary to a lot of people's lay beliefs that photos are destroying society or or ruining our experiences, we've actually found in a lot of our work that taking photos draws you into an experience. It makes you more immersed and engaged. And this shift in attention can actually increase enjoyment of, of certain types of experiences. But that being said, there's obviously a trade-off because while you might be focused more on the visual details of your experience and really be drawn into something like a bus tour or a museum exhibit, that comes with a cost because you have limited attentional resources. And so when partners don't want people to capture an experience, it might be coming from the fact that you can't focus on everything at once. And so if you're focusing on capturing, you might enjoy that experience more, but you might be not able to listen to the tour guide and what they have to say. You might be less able to converse as sharply with your with your partner. It has a real cost to basically other sensory details in the experience. We've shown that in our research with auditory cues that people who take photos, for example, are going to remember more of the of the visual aspects of an experience, like the artifacts that they see in a museum exhibit. But those who are taking photos remember fewer of the facts that they hear from an audio guide. You can imagine something similar in a restaurant. If you're taking photos of your food, you're focusing on the visual details, and that comes with the cost of maybe tasting the food as fully or talking with the person that you're you're there with. So there there are trade-offs for the person taking the photos um, as well as for the person who's who's there with them. And where I think a lot of these intuitions come from this idea that photo taking is really damaging to experiences, I see those interpersonal effects as being one of the main drivers. The fact that we attribute um, sort of negative effects to photo taking, it's a broad sort of reaction to something that is actually happening in terms of the interpersonal dynamics and not recognizing some of the intrapersonal effects, some of the benefits that come from taking pictures. So that's why I say both parties can be correct. And my advice is always, as a photo taker, you need to just consider what your goals are for the experience. So you need to think about, do I 
I want to be processing and noticing and attending to the visual details. And that makes sense for many experiences. But there might be other types of experiences like a concert where you want to listen to the music or something that's more interpersonal where you want to focus on on that person. That's where it might be less useful to pull out your camera. So really think a lot about the goals that you want to get because it can be it can be good and bad depending on that. So those are things that we find in a body of research that we've done that just looks at the effect of, of the action of photo taking itself. And then, as you know, there's also the intention for taking the photo because that's where we, where we started our conversation. And so just taking photos with different goals, taking the exact same picture, thinking about how you're going to use that photo to remember the experience compared to taking that photo thinking about how you're going to share it can also lead to different effects. So I'm careful not to, you know, make broad claims about the action of photo taking because it just depends on the goal of the photo taking, the goal of the experience, the type of experience. And then coming back to our original discussion, just what are we ultimately going to do with it? So just very interesting to to see how all of these things connect together. You know, it wasn't that long ago where selfies and posting everything, every moment was kind of relegated to a millennial thing. And it, I feel like they got a lot of grief for it. But it now seems like that I'm seeing older people like on Facebook posting more. And is this trend kind of infecting everybody, no matter what their age or their culture or their race or socioeconomic background? That's an interesting observation because I, I totally agree for one. And I think it really speaks to the very basic psychological effects that are driving these behaviors. And so if it was something that just affected millennials, then you would have to think about, you know, what are the specific cultural aspects of, you know, today's day and age that drives these things. But the fact that it's across cultures, across age, across race, it suggests that this is something more basic. And and the basic factors here really go to a number of psychological forces or motives that we've known about for decades. One I mentioned before, the affiliation motive, the fact that we take and post photos a lot of the time because we want to connect and bond with others. We like to be reinforced by that. So um, it feels really good to share our experiences with, with others. It's emotionally rewarding. And a lot of that comes from how responsive people are to your sharing behaviors. So of course, likes and comments is the way that's manifested on social media. But, you know, in person, one-on-one, -on -one, you also get some reaction and that's very psychologically rewarding. So that affiliation motive is something that affects all humans and drives some of this behavior. And also sort of the just the desire to be perceived in certain ways. So impression management is another motive I mentioned earlier, and that's the drive that we have to um, be perceived positively by those around us, because that is also, again, beneficial and rewarding when, when people think that we are cool or in the know or are beautiful or whatever it is that you are hoping to communicate or convey to your audience, that usually comes with some interpersonal reward. And that can mean friendships and uh, dating, being seen as a better mate. I mean, these are the things that psychology has studied for decades. And photos is just photo taking and, and sharing those photos is just a, a manifestation of, of that 
And so the fact that older people are adopting this behavior as they figure out how to use technology is not surprising at all to me, given how basic that those two drives that I just mentioned are. Right. We know that with, you know, especially younger people, that their social profile is having an effect on the way that they see themselves. Is this going to also affect even older people in terms of their impression of themselves? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, so much of this we are going to be just starting to learn about as we have the opportunity to examine the effects over time. And some of my current work is trying to get at these effects of revisiting our photos. How does uh, looking back at your albums, how does that allow you to relive your experiences? What types of photos are more enjoyable to, to look back at? And so it's, it's certainly going to affect the way that we see ourselves. Um, I think that's definitely going to be the case for both millennials and for older people just depends on, um, I think, the quantity of photos, the type of photos. Are we looking back at, at candid shots or posed pictures? That's really shifting, like how many candid shots people are capturing because they're, they have, you know, unlimited photo memory to keep photos. And so we get more insight into these kind of candid, mundane moments of our lives. We're getting to look back at ourselves in the photos more. Selfies obviously contribute to that. And seeing ourselves in the pictures definitely changes the way that we remember our experiences. Uh, we're looking exactly at that question, how looking at the same exact scenery with just scenery compared to looking at that scenery with the self in the image, how that changes your ability to relive the experience, obviously enjoy the process and even your your memory perspective. So whether you see things moving forward, even without the photos, from more of a first person or third person perspective. So all of these selfies are really changing the nature of our memories because we're actually seeing things kind of more third person as we're always thinking about how a photo is looking to our audience and, and not really looking through our own eyes as much to remember how the experience was when we were originally there. Um, so these are all effects on, on ourselves and perhaps the types of aspects that we remember from our experiences that reflect on our identities. Um, so what is it that I decided to capture? It's going to be particular types of, of experiences, and those are going to be the ones that we have feeding into the way we view ourselves. So it's going to be interesting to figure all these things out, but there's no question that this body of, uh, of photos that we have is going to shift things. Well, we're kind of joking with a the theme of this is that, you know, in the past, people were afraid of having their photo taken because they yeah. thought it would steal their soul. But we're saying kind of now with the selfie generation or selfie era, that it's kind of stealing our souls in a different way. But it's almost like it's rather than stealing it, we're just kind of transferring it to like a digital <laughs> digital life. Yeah, I like the transfer word because it, it reflects on how this isn't necessarily something that has, um, it's not valence, it doesn't necessarily have moral value, it's not good or bad, it's just different. And that's one thing that, because we don't know all of the different effects yet, um, the people who are quick to judge anything new as, as definitely bad for society, I think are going to be surprised when they learn 
that the transfer can actually boost our memories or make us enjoy things more. And, and of course, it's overwhelming and stressful sometimes, but it brings a lot of joy um, to our lives. And so, so I like that idea of instead of stealing, but thinking about it more as transferring or just something that's shifting the dynamic or nature of how we live our lives it's definitely got both positive and negative aspects. And I want to go back to, I think, a, a point you made, which is really interesting, that when I kind of thought of the selfie era, I thought that highly curated, highly stylized, but the, the point you made about the ratio of the photos we're taking, that that might actually open our memories to life because we'll have so many more of those candid photos, whereas like back, you know, when you had to process photos, that they would typically like throw out all the rejects uh, or that you just pick the best to put in your album and then all of a sudden your album was actually in some ways more curated than a digital profile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a nice point. And this is something that I already have a paper that looks exactly at how this curation can have negative effects for how others view you. So so we haven't necessarily looked at how it's going to affect our own memories yet, but we really like looking at candid shots from other people, and that can um, give us more insight into just their genuine nature. And so we really, really value candid pictures from other people. And so similarly, you can imagine over time that the candid shots are the ones that get the most value because they give us real, genuine, sincere insight into a time instead of the the posed, smiling, self-presentational shots that were really what we kind of were limited to back when there was less storage space and we were trying to get that perfect shot of the whole family and then we had to to move on. Now we get, you know, we get these photos popping up in our memory banks that, you know, make us sort of think, oh, I, I totally forgot about that random time I was hanging out at this totally mundane place that was really a special moment. That's great. I think you touched on the last bits of my questions there, because in terms of what's going to be the future of this, that you have to have, you have to set an intention for every experience. Yeah, I like that question because, you know, it's anyone's uh, anyone's guess. Uh, but what I think is going to be really cool, you know, as a psychologist looking at these effects is that as we get different technologies that allow us to capture more and um, and more diverse elements of the experience. Of course, we already have video, and so we can capture both visual and audio. And how is that uh, taking a video um, compared to taking a photo? Um, but you know, with virtual reality and other ways that we're we can't even conceive of right now, going to be able to capture more and more of the details. This is you know going to be shifting our attention in new ways. And so, it's really going to be interesting to see how those things change our experiences to begin with and then how we look back at them. Because if you have access to all of the details, not just the visual ones from your original experience, it can be you know perhaps even more immersive as you go back, but it could also maybe cause you to remember some of the negative aspects of experiences that our brains are really good at forgetting. It's going to be interesting to see how these effects play out in the future. Last uh, parting advice for our listeners. If they want to try to use this technology in a positive way without getting caught up in it, what would you suggest? If I give advice, I like to enact it in my own life. And I have found that my research has informed a very specific 
shift in my own behavior. So I'll share that with the caveat that it might not work for everyone, but it's really helped me focus on the experience, but while also getting the benefits of the photo taking process that I've described. So, so my best suggestion is to try to capture experiences for your own memories as much as possible, but to leave the sharing part of the process for afterwards, um, because there, there are a lot of benefits from sharing and we don't want to stop those, um, those goals uh, either. But when I allow myself to just capture experiences and live in the moment without thinking about the sharing until after the fact, um, I always have plenty of photos to share. I don't get absorbed into getting a perfect shot that has to be a certain way. And it doesn't come then with the undermining effects of sort of self-presentational concern or these anxieties that people get around around this. And so uh, I try to get the best of all worlds by by living in the moment, capturing pictures for myself, and then looking at the Facebook and Instagram part of the process when I'm no longer in the experience. And I can just reflect and enjoy the sharing process more separately. Well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, nice chatting with you. Really cool questions. Thank you very much. Wow, thank you, Alex and Brian. That's that was super interesting. Andy, what did you think? Because I, I feel like I'm I'm so opposed to selfies now because everybody else does it and it's very it's oftentimes like a humble brag or whatever, that uh, I just take no photos and that's that's not good either. Um, where you need you need to take the right amount of photos to remember important events. You don't necessarily have to be selfies and you don't necessarily have to post them right away and then be staring at your phone waiting for all the likes to come in. But it's important to uh, capture the moment and enjoy it when it happens and after. Thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe if you haven't already. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot us a message at podcast at makeeverything.tv. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we talked about today, please check out the show notes at makeeverything.tv forward slash simplycomplex. Next week, we're going to be talking about some Valentine's Day related stuff. So be sure to listen and we'll see you next time on Simply Complex.